My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate, put it in context, teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's talk about pain. The house of pain. Raw, nasty pain. Not the kind that stops with icy hot aspirin cream or even a morphine trip. That's just physical pain. I am talking about the kind of agony you don't get over. The pain of getting things wrong in the stock market. This is something that happens every day, including this one, Dow flat, S&P drop 0.272%, NASDAQ nosedive 1.71%. But you don't care when it happens to the other guy. You only care when it happens to you. And I don't blame you. Today we convened our first CNBC Investing Club meeting. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. Where I pretty much bear it all. And I got to speak to a special woman who happens to live in my daughter's old stomping grounds of Talland, Oregon. She asked me about the stock of Boeing. Now, have you ever noticed how nobody's ever stumped on TV? They've already got some glib answer. And and you know what? I'm the last person to criticize. I've been running a lightning round for 16 straight years. That's kind of the essence of off the cuff. But this one hit me hard. It had me struggle. It, It kind of had me blinded because the charitable trust has been pummeled by Boeing of late. Although we have a good cost basis on the stock, I am totally beaten down by this one. Really. Exhausted. This morning I had to hear about how American Airlines would have to cut its flight schedules because it didn't get the Dreamliners it needs from Boeing. Why? Well, of course it's the FAA, right? They see some problems with the planes. Problems, by the way, that management assured me would have been fixed more than six months ago. Given that this thing is delayed until late in the second quarter, we'll only be seeing these planes one full year after my sources told me not to worry about it. But my sources, they were good. They were. I mean, they said the problem would be fixed pronto. Meanwhile, China's recertifying the 737 MAX, the troubled airplane that was to blame for two accidents that killed hundreds of people. But this thing still hasn't been greenlit. And there are no new orders from Boeing's biggest customer yet. Given the political tensions, maybe there won't be. So what do you do in this situation? Now, part of me just wanted to tell Jolene that she shouldn't worry about it. The stock will be fine, right? We always hear that, right? I'll be fine. But stand back. Part of me wanted to say the whole thing's unfair. I mean, what does the FAA want? David Calhoun's head on the silver platter? If you gave him the CEO's head, would it make a difference? Oh, the gears were worrying in my head, especially if steam wasn't coming out of my ears. I was just on the verge of saying, you know what? Enough already. Let me out of the house of pain. But then I recalled that just this morning, I had read a story and then saw the CEO, CVS, the drugstore chain, boosting its buyback, raising its forecast, setting its stock up almost 5% in a day. Now, what does CVS have to do with Boeing? Well, CVS is now up nearly 30 bucks from where it was trading when the charitable trust bailed on it. We battled this one for ages. We were glad to sell it at a slight profit. When if we had just been able to handle the pain of a story that we knew well, we could have crushed it. We always dreamed CVS would announce a buyback, but they couldn't because the balance sheet was so stretched from the, uh, from the acquisition. Well, it turns out we just, just had to be more patient to announce the $10 billion. We never dipped our feet into the promised land because we couldn't 
take the pain. It was just too much for me. Oh, and then I thought of Viacom. I mean, this is all happening when you're doing this thing. It's like, foo, 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 foo. thought of Viacom. Now, lots of stock got cut in half on our watch. I couldn't believe how we could be so wrong about the darn they thing. CEO Bob Backers was doing a terrific job monetizing everything, setting up Paramount Plus for streaming. The franchises were making fortunes. But like CVS, we sold CBS. <laughs> a little network joke. We sold Viacom for the charitable trust, this time at the bottom. Why? Couldn't take the pain. Stock went up fourfold almost immediately. Fourfold almost immediately because it, it never should have been down so much in the first place. I hate putting on anything on CBS ever since that, but eh, sometimes Eagles play on it. So what I told Jolene in Oregon is that sometimes you just have to take the pain. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes there's no choice. If you sell Boeing stock here, I think you will be kicking yourself, but I don't know when. I can't tell. Just like those of us who were foolish enough to sell CVS or Viacom, because we couldn't see when the term would happen. We couldn't tell. But let's step back for a second, though. I'm not a dig-in-the-heels guy. I'm a discretion is the better part of valor person. So why have such angst about Boeing? Because while the short term is absolutely horrible, and I can't take being kidded about it anywhere, I think the long term is ridiculously bullish. That said, unlike so many other commentators, I freely admit that I've been very wrong. But you take the pain when you've got a real thesis, and my thesis here is real simple. First, most people on Earth have never set foot on an airplane. Now, that's a staggering fact, isn't it? We think of air travel as fairly commonplace, but most people in the world aren't wealthy enough to enjoy it. The thing is, that's changing. Let's just take China. In the last few decades, China's lifted 800 million people into the middle class, and they now view air travel as almost a rite of passage. Rite of passage for the non-French out there. Regular viewers know that I have huge problems with the Chinese government, but not with the people. Uh, I, I just think my, my view is no different, though, it turns out, than the current president or the last president. But you have to believe the Chinese will buy more planes from Boeing because they can't do without them. Which brings me to the second reason to own Boeing. There are only two companies on Earth that can make large commercial aircraft at scale. One of them is Airbus. Airbus is sold out. Boeing may have awful execution right now, but it's still part of a beautiful duopoly where they can charge an arm and a leg for the planes because they, they only have one competitor. Third, as Gary Kelly, the outstanding outgoing CEO of Southwest Air, told me this morning when I interviewed him, airlines that want to shrink their carbon footprint need to retire their older, less fuel-efficient planes. They also happen to be, by the way, noisier. And that means they need to replace them with new ones. You can't just keep using the same old aircraft. They do get used up. Now that big business is taking climate change much more seriously, almost every airline in the world has a fleet that's too old. They need Boeing. Finally, if you believe, as I do, that the pandemic's finally running its course, that the Omicron strain will be dealt with, then you have to expect a huge travel boom next year. You, you, there's no way you can. There's so much pent-up money and pent-up demand. The second great reopening should lead to tremendous air traffic, especially when travel restrictions are lifted worldwide. You don't have to quarantine. Now, I know there are a million opinions floating around about how contagious Omicron is, very, and how deadly it is, not as deadly as Delta, and whether the booster shots work or not. But I need you to get, start getting your arms around the concept of acceptable risk. Acceptable risk. That's what I'm looking for. We aren't just going to do nothing as we wait for COVID to get stamped out. you got two kinds of people when it comes to vaccinations. You either get all three shots, right, in which case you're basically fine, or you don't care whether you get sick in the first place. Either way, I think a surge in air travel will be the biggest change in this new hybrid work world. 
People want to go away and explore with Zoom, but therefore they can do it wherever they want. They can take off days, Zoom, go somewhere. Of course, some investors are worried that Zoom has killed business travel, which would be bad for Boeing. However, I think there will always be some business travel. What matters more, though, is that there simply aren't anywhere near enough planes right now available, I mean, at the airlines to meet all the demand. So these orders will be placed as soon as governments around the world say it's okay. And I have faith that the Boeing board of directors will do what's necessary to make the regulators happy. The bottom line, sometimes a company's long-term prospects are so strong that you've got to be willing to endure the short-term agony when management screws up. And they are. But that's why it's worth it to take the pain in Boeing. Let's take some calls. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my question. Do you think Apple can sustain its upward momentum in the face of the supply chain issues? Well, I think it can. Uh, we just had Broadcom report a great number tonight, and Broadcom's one of the suppliers. And I know a lot of the suppliers, they don't talk to about Apple, but they do say that they can meet the demand because they pre- they're prepped for it. They believe in Apple, and they know that Apple's going to want a lot of product. So I think they're fine. I wouldn't worry. Why don't we go to Josh in North Carolina? Josh. Big, big, big booyah, Jim. How are you this evening? Well, Josh, I'm doing just fine. We had a nice group of people on the club call today, so I'm doing good. What's happening with you? Yeah, I really enjoyed that today. Oh, I'm thank glad you. you had that. Thank you. I look forward. Is this going to be a monthly thing? Yeah, I'm going to do it every month. we got good, a great staff good. here. We're going to pull it off. Thank you. Well, I'm a first-time caller, and I've been a member almost a year now, and my uh, portfolio looks very similar to your charitable trust. Oh, good. I've got a DoorDash that, you know, I've been holding on to it and it's about 25 points down. And I want to get some feedback on you. I sort of under, I thought I read between the lines on something you said today about when it get. I felt like when it gets to a certain percentage and it's nothing, it's, it's not like uh, some of these big companies. That maybe you should take the hit and reinvest the money. Well, remember that you what got I did say, though. I said these can bounce. Down. Remember, the, what I've talked about was how I don't I no longer like these companies that aren't making any money and are spending a lot of money and have good sales. Excuse me, good sales. That's not enough anymore. So what I am saying, although there'll be ones that do. I mean, I prefer an Oracle, which makes money up big tonight. I think you have to wait for a, a spike up in DoorDash to take any action, though. Uh, but DoorDash is defining exactly what I said in the, in the club call. That's a very good read of the situation. Right, one of the best parts of our amazing CBC Investing Club meeting today was the questions from members. Special thank you to Wallace from Maryland. Remember to head to CBC.com slash investing club slash live to see the whole CBC Investing Club event today. A lot of links in my, in my uh, Twitter feed, too. Hey, by the way, thank you for all the nice comments about, uh, about what we did today. Listen, I know being in Boeing hurts, okay? I'm sharing that pain with you. But for now, sometimes a company's long-term prospects are so strong that it is worth it to take the pain. Oh, man, tonight, Hormel jumped today on earnings. No pain there. Reporting record spam sales seven straight quarters. I'm taking a bite of the stock with the CEO to see if the company buying Skippy and my fave planters could serve up some returns to your portfolio. Then earlier today, we held our inaugural CBC Investing Club event. I had the opportunity to speak to Ford CEO Jim Farley. So I'm recapping my interview with the visionary leader and breaking down what we learned. And MP Mountain Pass Materials announced today it entered a long-term supply agreement with General Motors to provide unnecessary ingredients for batteries. And I'm discussing the deal with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. It's spam time. This morning, we got a tremendous quarter from Hormel, the packaged food company. You know, it's spam, Applegate, Skippy, peanut butter, planters, and a host of other brands. This is a stock that's been struggling earlier this year. Wall Street abandoned. Remember the packaged food plays? They decided they didn't want them. They wanted the reopening stocks. But Hormel's now putting up some excellent numbers, maybe best in the food group. They gave you a top and bottom line beat, 32% organic sales growth, almost like a tech company. And management also issued solid guidance for next year. And this is the stock barely budged. That was wrong. Conference call was terrific. Stock caught fire up nearly 5%. Even after this move, though, Hormel's still a fairly inexpensive stock. 2.3% dividend yield. Of course, they boosted the dividend. That's something that they've been doing forever. I think it's exactly what kind of uh, what kind of a stock that can work in an environment where people are worried about a COVID outbreak and rate hikes from the Fed. But it's also a good place to have snacking at home. People are doing that with a hybrid economy. I'm thinking about this one for the CBC Investing Club. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Jim Snee, the chairman and CEO of Hormel, to get a better read on the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Snee, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having us. We're coming to you live from the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota. Well, there you go. I've always wanted to visit the Spam Museum. I take my wife there. She's a Spam backer from a long time. I happen to have, by the way, the pumpkin Spam on my set. Nothing like that. Probably still selling well, correct? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, Spam in general is selling well. We just announced earnings today and we had our seventh consecutive record year of Spam sales. That's incredible. And we've had to announce new capacity that we're going to bring online in 2023 to meet the demand. So Spam's as strong as it's ever been. uh, What's incredible to me is, is that everything's as strong as it's ever been. Every single line you have, every acquisition you have made. And this is despite the fact that I'm quoting you, labor rates, freight, supplies, raw materials all remain above year ago levels. And yet you still delivered. How is that possible? Well, I mean, as you know, Jim, it's a testament to our team and our supply chain team has just been doing heroic work up and down the supply chain. You know, we've had countless interruptions. We've had packaging materials, ingredients that haven't shown up, trucks that we haven't been able to ship on time. But in spite of that, we found solutions. We found ways to create solutions. And at the same time, our sales and marketing teams have done an amazing job creating that demand with the consumer. And so, I mean, as you said, you go across our entire portfolio, every channel, every segment, um, whether it's retail, food service, deli, international, just really, really strong growth. And I, I would say that in some ways, this pandemic has brought out, brought out the best in us because we're collaborating and working together as a team better than we ever have. Now, at the same time, you've had to integrate a gigantic acquisition, one that we're, and I'm holding some up, some up the Planners Acquisition, an incredible brand that had been completely undermanaged. Now you've integrated one of the three plants. How's that going? Uh, going really well. It's, it's performing on the high end of all our expectations, Jim. You know, as we think about where we're going to take that business in 2022 and beyond, I mean, we're having conversations with retailers and customers that we've just we've never had. So we've really been able to amplify our snacking voice. I mean, you can see from our portfolio a number of snacking items. But when you add planters and the scale that that brings, 
changes the conversation. It's also introduced us into the convenience store channel in a much bigger way. And that's exactly what we thought it would do. So as we look into 2022, again, we, we expect it to perform on the high end of our expectations that we announced when we bought the business. Yeah, I We've also it. got some great new innovation, marketing, packaging redesign, flavor, new flavors coming to market. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about with the acquisition of plans. But I think people should know, despite the fact you had to spend a lot of money to acquire that, and you uh, stretched your balance sheet a little more than I would have thought, but you, I think it was the right thing to do because it's very rare that something like this comes up. You still managed to increase the dividend, of which many of our viewers are most grateful for. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had an amazing run. Obviously, we're considered a dividend king. Uh, we just announced our 56th consecutive year of dividend increases. And, you know, it's one of the things that when I took this job five years ago said, I'm not going to be the CEO who breaks that string. And so we know how important it is to our investors. But it's also equally important to maintain that strong balance sheet. And we've been able to do that even with the acquisition that we made of planters. I mean, we're ready to go. We have a lot of optionality if we want to make another bolt-on acquisition, investments for capacity, investments in other parts of the business. We can do anything that we need to do with the balance sheet that we have. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting is you kind of represent what I see in America today, which is that the actual commodities that you're starting to buy are starting to go down. It's all this other stuff. It's all, these, it's all the freight. It's all these things to get the stuff to the store, to get it to you. That's where the real inflation in this country is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, a number of our inputs have started to moderate for a number of our products. But, I mean, when you think about the labor increases that we've had, increases in our, our packaging, other supplies, getting the product shipped, as you mentioned. I mean, that inflation is it's real, it's significant, and it's being passed along in the form of, of higher pricing. All right, one last question. What is the hottest thing you're selling right now? What are, what are people, what is the snack food for the hybrid economy where the kids are home and the people in their 20s and 30s are working from home not going to work? What are they? Well, our plan, like I said, our planner's business is incredibly strong. Our Columbus charcuterie, as families come back together, is a perfect item. So, I mean, as you look across the entire snacking portfolio, Jim, it's not just any one item. we got a portfolio to meet every family's needs, and we're excited as these holidays are around the corner and families and friends get back together. We're there for them. Well, there's something for everybody for Hormel. We are gigantic planners, people. What a fantastic move. But there's so many other good ones. I want to thank Jim Snee, Hormel Food Chairman, President, and CEO. Makes it look easy, but it's actually really hard to do. Have a great holiday season, sir. Yeah, happy holidays, Jim. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Stay up there, buddy. Coming up. Kramer hosted the CNBC Investment Club for an up-close and personal and profitable study session. Find out what the club learned directly from Ford CEO Jim Farley. Next. Let's talk about one of the greatest turnaround stories of our era. Let's talk about Ford Motor. I like this one so much to be honored for the charitable trust where it's been one of our best performers. We initially started our position at $9 a little over a year ago. Now it's at $19 and change. And if you want to know what's driving that move, it's because the relatively new CEO, Jim Farley, has orchestrated an incredible comeback. Yep, last year, Ford finally brought in a real car guy to run the company. His first order of business was to run the company like a for-profit enterprise. See, in the old days, Ford was more committed to building cars everywhere in the world. Kind of a statement, even when they couldn't make money on 
Yeah, in a lot of places. Under Farley, though, the company's committed to making money in every market they participate in or else they'll leave it, and every car and truck they build or else they won't build them. Every one. More recently, he's made a massive push into electric vehicles. Earlier this year, Ford rolled out the all-electric Mustang Mach-E, sold out immediately. And by the way, they make money on every one of them. And they've got a huge lineup coming next year, including the electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck and an electric commercial van. Behind the scenes, management's also been working to arrange long-term supply agreements for the semiconductors and the batteries that the whole industry desperately needs. It's going to be a dogfight there. They've made savvy investments, too, taking a stake in, in Argo AI, autonomous driving technology company, not to mention the position in Rivian. What a windfall. The newly public electric vehicle maker, which is now worth $12 billion, their stake alone. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Jim Farley as part of the CNBC Investing Club's regular conference call. Now, if you want to see the Investing Club's whole thing, of course, you got to join the club, and I'm urging you to do so. Here's what you have to do. You can go to CNBC.com slash Investing Club slash live. Wow. Okay, There it is. But this was such a great interview that I thought I should share some of the highlights with you. Now, what makes me so confident that Ford Motor is doing well, even in the face of the semi-shortage that's kept the lid on production? Well, some of it's because the the company's latest quarter was strong. Uh, By the way, added dividend. More importantly, though, in late October, what they're doing is kind of reorganizing and making it clear that they can do even more dividends than just the one they've done. Why? Well, why don't you listen to Farley's reasoning? Our business is getting a lot of momentum now. The company's getting healthier. So we thought it was the right thing to reinstate the dividend. We want to go higher. Um, and our cash position is great. You know, we, we have incredible demand for our product. We have the green bond that came out. We've lowered interest rates. Uh, we took on a little more debt during COVID, and, and we're now paying that very expensive debt back. So our balance sheet looks good, and we're going to go as deep as we can to reward our shareholders. In the old days, Ford used to have a gigantic dividend. Then they had to get rid of it. Maybe they can bring a lot of it back. But how about this huge push into electric vehicles? That's the kind of thing I really care about. Why don't you listen to this? We're completely oversubscribed with our battery electric vehicles. Lightning especially. The F-150 Lightning, America's best-selling vehicle. Everyone loves the electric version. They haven't even driven it yet. Where do they drive it? Uh, zero to 60 in like, you know, like a 911. Uh, it, it's just an incredible product. It powers your house for four days. Um, we, we had to stop reservations. We've got so many. Power shots for four days? I'll take that. Remember, the F-150 is indeed the best-selling vehicle in the country for the past four decades. That's right, 40 years. And I think this electric version, more than anything else, is what will allow Ford to mount a serious challenge to the only major player in the space, Tesla, and to actually uh, make a lot more electric cars than GM, although GM's doing a lot of right things, too. But can Ford really compete with the all-powerful trillion-dollar Tesla? We have to scale our electric business so that we are competitive with them on scale or beat them in more profitable segments like pickup trucks and commercial vans. And we have to make money on those vehicles. Uh, The scaling is the first part. We have a roadmap. We now have the talent in the company, like Doug Fields, who came from Apple and Tesla. So we, we can do this, uh, but it has to be both. Yeah, Doug Field being the guy who was running the uh, Apple electric car business, that was a real nice pickup by Jim Farley. All right, make no mistake, Ford is aiming to win. Or as Farley, who races cars in his spare time, says. Second place is the first loser. That's how I look at uh, at business. Um, 
Ford employees deserve the best leadership. Uh, and our investors are betting on this company. So, and yeah, you should expect us uh, as we go battery electric, we can really reinvent the brand. Um, and we're doing that with F-150 Lightning. We're already seeing it. Now we have to develop a lot more vehicles just, just that good and build them and do it profitably. Second place is the first loser. I'm going to use that for everything I ever do in the sports world from now on. Okay, right now, we've got a supply chain crisis in this country, and the auto industry has been one of the hardest hit areas. So you have to ask yourself, can Ford really come up with the materials they need to launch their massive new electric vehicle lineup next year? And that's the big complication. Sure, it seems like the answer is yes. Listen. We can put more shifts of workers on. Our, our UAW members are ready to make these vehicles. We had to find batteries. That's in the middle of what we're doing. As big companies, we're not used to committing to stuff that we don't have all the answers to. But, you know, I, we, th- we think we can do it. In 24 months, we're going to double our capacity for these battery electric vehicles. We're well on the way of doing that. We've gotten a lot of incremental battery uh, commitments out of our Georgia facility. Uh, and and we really think we can do it. And my, my name's on the line. If they can really double their capacity for electric vehicle batteries in two years, that's huge for Ford and huge for you if you're a shareholder, huge for my charitable trust. And Forley's adamant that they can do it. Don't bet against Ford when we have to increase capacity. This is what we do. What about Rivian, the electric vehicle company that recently came public with a bang? You know, the one Ford's got that 12% stake in. Ford originally had joint plans to develop electric vehicles with, the, with these guys, but that plan's been scrapped. Farley, Farley, uniquely, though, doesn't sound threatened at all. Listen. We're really excited, actually, about Rivian. Uh, it's a great American company. You can argue about what it's worth versus what Ford's worth, but I really like the talent over there, and I like their positioning of products. They're going after pickup trucks and van owners. Um, and we like those kind of people. They're hardworking Americans who want to make this transition, transition to electric. Well, Rivian's come down big from its highs. It's still nearly a $100 billion company. Just remember, again, Ford still owns 12% of that. Though I wouldn't be surprised if, at all if they eventually sell their stake uh, down to zero, frankly, because it's too dicey owning shares in a competitor because they need the money. But the bottom line. I feel confident about Ford because the newest CEO, Jim Farley, has already done a magnificent job of turning the business around and gain, really aiming for profitability, not just world domination. The guy's a real straight shooter. And having spoken to him earlier today, and I urge you to join the club and watch this whole interview, he sure sounds very confident about the future. More importantly, betting against him has proven to be a serious and a costly mistake. Remember to head to cnbc.com slash investing club slash live to see the whole CNBC Investing Club event today. It was just amazing. And we got some incredible members from you. And I love it. Questions for you. I have to tell you, the questions from the members, the best part of the show. So many that we were not able to get to all of them. So let's take one of those calls now. When I received the updates on purchases, I noticed that you mentioned the percentage of the portfolio the asset represents. How do you determine the allocation percentage of each asset in your portfolio? Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Great question. Uh, I like to do uh, 
I tell you, this is something in Bob Michelle from my home state of Pennsylvania, by the way. Uh, what I like to do is not have any one stock be able to control the direction of the fund. So let's say today, let's say we had a stock that was up, say, 25 percent and our whole fund therefore swung, say, 15. We're too correlated and too big. Hardest way to be able to cut back, though, is to have to sell a great stock. We don't want to have more than, say, 6% in an individual stock. It's a discipline. Discipline always trumps conviction. So we do a little selling when that happens. Listen up. I'm bullish on Jim Farley, and I'm bullish on the Ford Motor Company. It is one of the greatest turnaround stories of our era, and it's just not heralded enough. Now, let's work for money. Uh, man, money. I included my Swiss about with MP Materials after announcing plans to build a magnet factory in the U.S., I'm hearing more about the rare earth materials company with the CEO. And by the way, just so you know, that's what you need to make the batteries that Farley covets so much. Then we're in the midst of an enormous housing shortage, and I'm helping you set up your playbook on investing in the space. And of course, order calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Raymer. We can put more shifts of workers on. Our, our UAW members are ready to make these vehicles. We had to find batteries. That's in the middle of what we're doing. As big companies, we're not used to committing to stuff that we don't have all the answers to. But, you know, I, we, th- we think we can do it. In 24 months, we're going to double our capacity for these battery electric vehicles. We're well on the way of doing that. We've gotten a lot of incremental battery uh, commitments out of our Georgia facility uh, and and we really think we can do it. And my, my name's on the line. Wow. Well, how do you play that? How do you play the ramp up in electric vehicles that's going on everywhere? Why not work your way up the supply chain with MP, that's Mary Peter Materials, the largest producer of rare earth minerals in the Western Hemisphere, a huge differentiator in an industry that's dominated by, yes, the People's Republic of China. You need these rare earths to make electric cars and trucks. It's just the way it is just today, though. We learned that MP Materials is moving up the value chain itself, building its first rare earth metal alloy and magnet manufacturing facility in Texas. And they've also signed a long-term supply agreement with Ford rival General Motors for these same materials. This stuff is essential for EVs. And that's why the stock jumped nearly 3% today. I wouldn't be surprised it's got a lot more room to run. So let's take a closer look with James Latinsky. He's the chairman and CEO of MP Materials. MP is actually Mountain Pass, as you know. To learn more about where his company's headed, Mr. Latinsky, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me back. And it's great to be here on uh a special day for you. Congratulations on your first day of Investing Club. Well, thank you. We talked <laughs> a great. lot about EVs with Jim Farley. Now, obviously, he's uh, Mary Barr has got this great deal with MP. But it is very clear that in many ways, your company holds the key to what could be the bottleneck. And I want you to tell our viewers how important what you just did today was, because when I first met you, this was my hope. And you really delivered. Thank you, Jim. That's nice to hear. And that's that's absolutely it. We think that the the upstream is the key to the electrification. You know, as we as we go through this transformation, uh, there's there's a lot of industry that uh, of the supply chain that needs to change. And when you look upstream, there just isn't enough stuff for everybody to compete. And so we think that the the electrification race is going to be one upstream. And today was obviously a transformational event for MP materials. You know, as you know, it's been our mission. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, at the same time, I mean, just, you know, you got yeah. this agreement, but the numbers themselves were fantastic. Your revenues increased gigantically. Net income is amazing. But to me, this yeah. the plant that you're opening 
And you're, the way you're going to be able to educate any sort of arrangement where we're, but our country's beholden to China, because if you're beholden, then we are, are really rather remarkable. Please lay out the next four years, because people won't believe what you just accomplished. Thank you. Well, first, uh, the, you know, the, a lot of the credit really goes to GM for having the, the confidence in us, the commitment uh, to, to see the, what, what is really happening out there in the landscape and wanting to be one of the leaders in, in going upstream in this space. Uh, and so, um, you know, we have a, a long term commitment with them. We've got to execute, but we think it'll be very attractive for our shareholders uh, and uh, a great partnership. It'll be great for GM. It'll be great for the country. Uh, we're going to get this supply chain home. Uh, as you as you know, uh, the, the about 90 percent of this supply chain is in China. It's a single point of failure for the industry. Uh, and um, the, the downstream is realizing that this needs to change. And and uh, and so we're leading the way on that front in our area. So is our country doing enough? Is the government doing enough to recognize that once again, the Chinese have an edge on us and we've got to make this so that, that it, it's just not sustainable if they own the a rare earth uh, market? Well, I think that the the private sector needs to solve this problem. There's a lot of capital available downstream. And so I think what you're going to see is that the the first movers like GM today um, are going to be the ones who who are able to produce three, five, seven years out. And and so I think when you look at the street numbers um, for for electric vehicles, what you're going to see across a lot of these commodities and whether it's semiconductors or or different pieces of the upstream, there's just not going to be enough for everybody. And so um, I, I think it's going to be a private sector solution. The government can certainly help and, and it's welcomed. Um, but this is this is a race. And, and today was a, you know, a, a key first shot, so to speak. The previous company that, of course, didn't make it that you made it uh, took over always told me that Mountain Pass is huge. I didn't know it is the world's second largest rare earth production yes. site. So that will give our country multiple years of the materials we need. That's right. Well, we're the second largest producer in the world. And Jim, as you said, you can look at our numbers. We're, we're profitable today, just selling an intermediate product. And, and um, it's really remarkable what's happened out there. I think people would also uh, be amazed at the magnetics team that we've built. And it's, it's an extraordinary opportunity. Uh, yeah. And so we'll continue to execute at Mountain Pass and then we'll move downstream uh, into magnetics, uh, starting with, with GM today. Uh, and we'll continue to grow that business. And there's just, you know, there's a lot of open space. This is a huge growth opportunity. Okay, so we don't know the actual and, financial yeah. terms with GM, but this is important. Right. I would not blame you one bit if you did what Lucid did today. Lucid did a $1.7 billion convert, raised more money, did hurt the common stock. I mean, I want you to be big. I just want, I think it's, it's perfectly reasonable to ask, uh, with, the, with these ambitions, isn't it time to, uh, to raise money, maybe through a bond or common well, stock? No, well, Jim, we have 1.2 billion of cash on our balance sheet. We have nearly 500 million in net cash, and we actually said today that we, you know, we believe we'll we'll uh, make this facility, this first facility, with the net cash, uh, you know, comfortably with the net cash on our balance sheet. And so we are positioned um, to do this. And 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 I think it's also very important. You know, we've we've sort of said from the very beginning that as we move downstream, we don't rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. We we have a a very exciting stage two opportunity, which is producing separated rare earths. This magnetics business, we believe, is a high return on capital, an incremental high return on capital event for shareholders. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to uh, keep moving forward on this. And by the way, this facility represents uh, sub 10% of our, of our uh, NDPR oxide expected output. So we believe this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity. And again, multi-billion dollar supply right. chains don't move overnight. Right. Um, but we, you know, we're moving methodically. Well, you, you delivered. 
I know at times I have been skeptical, and I've shared that with you, but you delivered. Uh, We appreciate it, Jim. Keep, you know, keep holding us to account. We have to execute, and we'll keep at it, and we don't mind the criticism. I appreciate that. You always stand up, and you delivered, and I want to congratulate you. Great job, James Lutinsky, Chairman and CEO of MP Materials, delivering on everything he said he would when he first came on the show. And money's back into the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. Let's start with Desmond in Indiana. Desmond. Oh, hello there. This is this is Mr. Kramer. Yes, it is, Desmond. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Say, my question has to do with an IPO that was that uh, you recommended some time ago, Royalty Farmer. Yeah, I can't believe, sir, how low this stock is. I mean, honestly, I just actually checked in with the sponsors of this. This company is doing so well. I don't, really don't know what to say. It is doing incredibly well. They ought to be able to raise the dividend, but they own stakes in a lot of different drugs. I would want to stay long this stock. Tom in Connecticut, Tom. Booyah, Jim. Tom Booyah, from Tom. Connecticut here. Booyah. Hey, we've uh, been uh, watching your show for a long time. We're Thank a member you. of the Investment Club. And uh, saw the Investment Club show today. It was great. Looking oh, thank you. More. Thank you, buddy. All right, man. Down to business. Canadian Pacific Railway. As you know, they're looking at a merge with KSU. If the wheels don't fall off the deal, they'll be a dominant player between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. My question is, do you think they're a buy, hold, or a sell? No, it's a buy. I think it's the laggard in the group because of the transaction. I mean, obviously, you've seen what we're doing with Union Pacific in the club. It's been such a monster. I think that that, that railroad will be kind of playing catch-up for UNP. Let's go to Dennis in Florida, please. Dennis. Jim, thanks so much for taking the call. Greatly appreciate it. Appreciate all your hard work. Thank you. Very welcome. Um, calling about ticker symbol DAC, Den House. I'm not uh, going to recommend be- container ship stocks. They are, in the end, so di- – look, I, you know, no offense, but I mean – these are ones where I can look so great or so bad, and I'd rather just go with something consistent because they are the ultimate commodity. And, you know, when there is one from Norwegian that is actually too little to even mention on air. Now, it's a different kind of kit of, of tanker, but in the end, they trade like a unit. I need to go to Mark in Florida. Mark! Hi, Jim. I enjoyed the investing club presentation oh, today. Oh, thank you for attending. Thank you for being convenient for being this for the first convention. My pleasure. Uh, my, my question concerns Standard Lithium, a company that produces the key component of lithium-ion batteries used in electric vehicles. I started buying it at 1046 and have been buying more as it came down. Where, where do you think it's going from here? Well, I think, I think you can go higher because the uh, parts of the battery are really in obvious demand. But I'm sticking with my new fave, MP Materials. One, one more. Let's go to Ed in Ohio, Ed. Yeah, boo, Chili Jimmy. Yeah, this man, what's up? Eddie yes, it's me. Maria, Ohio. Okay. I'm an investing club member, Thank and you. I find the email newsletters very insightful and uh, valuable. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That morning one I do is just I start that one at 4 a.m. What's going on? 
My question is, Ionis Pharmaceuticals, I-O-N-S. Doesn't have enough juice for me. Never really started making a lot of money. I just can't recommend them. I can't. I like the ones we talked about in the club a lot more, sir. Thank you, everyone, for being part of that call today. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hot. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Guys, I wanted to talk about cable and telecom. We talked a bit about oh, it yesterday. Oh, jeez, we did upbeat the whole show. Now you got to bring that up. Your whole posture just went... Uh, it's a Faber report. I haven't done one of those in ages. Are you doing Where's Charter? Johnny Gilbert. Are you doing Altice? Are you doing Yes, today? I'm doing all of it. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. How is it possible that we built 1.4 million single-family homes in 1977 when we're a country of only 220 million people? Yet last year, we built less than a million homes, even though we've got 330 million Americans. Before you asterisk that number because of the pandemic, you should know we only built 880,000 single-family homes in the pandemic-free year of 2019. These figures tell a clear story. It's a story of a country that simply hasn't hasn't kept up at all with the needs of its people. If you go over the Toll Brothers conference call from yesterday, you'll hear a staggering tale of the desire to own a home in this country. Yes, according to Redfin, the real estate company, in the last full week of November, get this, last full week, the number of homes for sale nationwide hit an all-time low. The lack of housing supply is very good news for the homeowners, especially Kramer Faye Toll Brothers, which owns the affordable luxury category and does an incredible job of picking where to build. For example, there's a great moment of the call. Uh, Boise, Idaho is now a boomtown, right? Do you know that Toll figured that out ahead of time? Discovered it. And, and this is Doug Year, the CEO. He just figured it out. Figured they're going to that town. And they practically cornered the market on available land. Wow. More important, though, is the fact that something has fundamentally changed in this country. Two years ago, the idea that you'd want to own a home, your main residence, in a place that's nowhere near your job was downright absurd. I mean, what the heck is in Boise? Where the heck is Boise? How would you get a job? Then your office closed. You could work remotely because you had nowhere to go. Your savings grew. Suddenly, the idea of buying a house in a beautiful place like Boise made a lot more sense. We've gone from a country where we had a surplus in pretty much everything, from homes, cars, trucks, workers, to a country where it seems like everything's in short supply, especially labor. And another 4 million people just left the workforce last month. Where'd they go? What do they do? Where are they coming back? Nobody seems to know. Maybe they all went to Boise. But what we do know is this. No one was ready for all these changes. No one. Of course, we can figure out how to get food to the stores, albeit at a higher price. People eventually pick new professions or figure out what they can do independently. I suspect many of the people leaving the workforce turned out to have more savings than they thought, perhaps because of the stock market. Plus, it's easier than ever to start your own business online. Thank you, Etsy. Thank you, Shopify. Let's circle back to housing, though. In terms of of work, lots of industries have already more or less gone back to normal. 
Now, that is not true for white-collar workers, though. Many of their jobs can be done just fine remotely, which means tens of millions of Americans have tremendous mobility that they've never had before. They can move to lower tax states. They can afford second homes, maybe even third homes. Listen to the RH conference call from last night. You'll know exactly what I mean. It's this group, the lawyers, the bankers, the accountants, the professionals. They're the wild cards of the economy. It's always come down to the bourgeoisie, doesn't it? They're turning the country upside down with their land purchases, their remodeling, their refurbishing. Yet Wall Street started writing off these prospective home buyers the moment Fed Chief Jay Powell dropped the word transitory from his inflation lexicon. They're convinced the Fed will raise, 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 raise until it's too expensive to buy a home. And that will nip the whole bull market in the bud. But what if that's wrong? What if they keep buying even as mortgage rates go higher because they have such a powerful reason to move? Look, I don't want to get insanely bullish on housing. We've had a big run. I know it's almost always been wrong to be this confident, except when it comes to technology stocks. But the pandemic has unleashed a torrent of wealth and all seems to be pouring into this one sector. Yet the sector is hated by the market because the professionals have all been conditioned to believe that housing will roll over the moment the Fed starts tightening. I'm starting to think that's just dead wrong. When we've got such an enormous housing shortage and the components they're in, at one point, Toll talks about having to buy appliances at Home Depot to finish homes, for heaven's sake. And then maybe what you got to do is throw away the old negative playbook and find a new, more positive one. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.